This is Making Stitches and this time it's my absolute pleasure to share a chat I had with the utterly inspiring crochet designer and queen of colour, Emma Leith, whose enthusiasm is truly infectious. What I love about teaching crochet is that you know, you see that moment when people go, oh, and it suddenly connects and you go, there you go. Welcome to the world of crochet. Like you'll never leave it. You, you just know, and it's like, and I and I put a little caveat in the on my website to say, not responsible for the addiction that this is going to become. I'm not responsible <laughs> for the amount of yarn you will accrue, the amount of baskets of whips you're going to have all around your home. But isn't it a great thing? Like to give that to people is like that's a life of of wonderment. To, to know that you've, you've got crochet always to see you through anything. Hello and welcome to Making Stitches. I'm Lindsay and it's so lovely to have your company today. I've been really looking forward to being able to share this episode with you since I recorded my chat with Emma back in September. Emma is a crochet designer and teacher and she's been involved in several large-scale yarn bombs and published two books of crochet patterns. She also teaches mosaic and is a practicing Buddhist. We touched on all of these subjects and more in our conversation. Owing to our locations with me in Manchester in the northwest of England and Emma down in the southwest of England, we did the interview online and unfortunately about 16 and a half minutes into the interview the technology let us down. I hope that doesn't interfere too much with your enjoyment of our chat. So without further ado, here it is now. First of all, Emma, thanks very much for speaking to me for Making Stitches. You're described, you've described yourself on your website as author, designer and queen of colour. And with your backdrop to your uh, your Zoom at the moment, you're, you're living up to your name. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's lovely to be talking to you. Thank you for asking me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Um, I'm a great admirer of your work. Col- Queen, Queen of Colour is the right name. It's it's so zingy and happy and, and just gives off positive vibes. It's a real pleasure to see to see your work. Um, have you always been a creative person from, from childhood onwards? I would say I have, but I think that I went through a phase when I was kind of trying to decide what I wanted to do in my 20s. And I kind of I did what my daughter's doing now, which is kind of push against it a little bit because my family were really creative and very successful in it. So I think when you grow up in that environment, it can often have the opposite effect where you it becomes almost like the expectation is too much. So for a long time, I didn't do, I didn't work in the creative field at all. I um, It's only been in the last, well, I've been doing mosaic for like 30 years and it started as a hobby and then it kind of grew into workshops. But it's only been in the last 11 years that I've been crocheting. And that's I think that's when everything kind of really landed for me was was crochet. What was it that turned you on to crochet then? Well, my nan taught me when I was little, like a lot of us, my sort of entry level was when I was quite young and I had a really patient grandmother who just you know was always knitting and crocheting so she kind of held my hand and taught me as did um Alistair Brown's mother at my primary school when I was about seven she I mean I was thinking about her the other day and she kind of 
how do you do that? Go into a primary school and just undertake to teach kids how to crochet. I mean, I can't think of anything more challenging. But anyway, she did it. And so the muscle memory of crochet was 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 kind of embedded from, from about the age of seven. But of course, when I hit the teens and stuff, I didn't do any of that. And I only revisited it when my daughter was born. And I remember going to... It was a Kath Kidston shop when Kath Kidston was still very, very new, early days. And in the shop, she had um, crochet blankets. And I remember my neighbour and I going, oh, we really want one of those. And then we looked at the price and went, what? No. And so <laughs> I think it was before the internet. I Can you remember that? The days before the internet or very early internet days when YouTube didn't exist. So I had to teach myself how to crochet. I had to remember. And, um, and between us, between my neighbour and I, we were so kind of like, desperate to have one of these blankets but not pay all that money that we that we that we kind of taught ourselves and reminded ourselves and that's how it all started and for me it, there definitely so many things happened simultaneously creatively because it was like all the light bulbs suddenly went off at once and it, and it was like I um I don't know like yeah I'd come home almost Wow. You you find it a medium then that's very easy to, to kind of get your ideas out of your head and into a into a thing. Now I do. I think it's taken quite a while to go from that enthusiastic beginner to to being a professional crochet designer. There's it's quite a long journey. And I would say only in the last year even. So that's like after the two books I've done, only now can I begin to really sort of know what I want and 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 technically execute it? Is that, so I'm still learning all the time. I'm still, always learning. I've I've only just worked out. <laughs> I'm letting you into a big secret now. I've only just worked out the kind of the maths behind things like mandalas. I mean, I used to honestly, I just used to kind of like go around and go, oh, that's my count. Oh, why isn't that working? <laughs> or doing the edge of a blanket, like doing a big blanket and then doing the border and then go, oh, it's rippling. Why is it rippling? I don't know. <laughs> so only recently have I gone, oh, hang on a minute. I think I might need to use some maths. <laughs> well, that's very reassuring then. <laughs> I've had many a wobbly border. <laughs> kind of we apply certain rules and sometimes those rules work to a point and then it's almost like you have to invent new rules mm. well I have anyway I don't know maybe I'm maybe I'm still maybe I'm getting down a cul-de-sac and I should just read properly someone's proper pattern but but I I think that's what's happened to me is that that I was I was kind of following logic and then logic stopped working and you get like the rip and the edges because the rip and the edge has always been a real problem. And now I think I've nailed it. Couldn't tell you how, but I think I have. <laughs> I think also like you get so tired, don't you? And I think we can all identify with this of doing so because we're just keen to crochet. It's like, oh God, who wants to, who wants to add up? Who wants to work it out? You want to crochet. Yeah. And so you're crocheting and then, and then you've got to rip it out and then you've got to rip it out again. And you've got to rip it. And it's like, okay, Let's not do the ripping out. Let's just sit for a couple of hours in quiet with the rest of the family. You know, we will do that kind of like, don't talk to me, I'm counting, don't talk, don't talk. 
But it's, it really pays off. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Well, we've jumped very quickly there from from being a child and and learning to your Kath Kidston experience, and then on to actually where you are now. But what was it? How did you make the transition then from making that baby blanket for your own daughter, and then actually thinking, I, I think I could uh, I could pursue this in in a more serious way. To be honest, I don't know. It was kind of, well, I, the trajectory was that I, I made the blanket, then I made more blankets. And so I, I, I really embedded the granny square and, and then I got bored. And I think boredom is, is, is our friend in crochet because it, it makes us want to learn something new, right? And there's always something new to learn. So, so I did that for quite a while, for quite a few years. And I think the turning point, there were several things that happened simultaneously and one of them was that um, I discovered I discovered Rico and all of their colours, and so the colour factor came in. I I began to crochet in the round, and suddenly mandalas came in for me, and then I got breast cancer, and and what that did was it, it gave me permission to stop. And I didn't have to do anything commercially at all. I didn't have to worry about, at the time I was just running, just, I was, I was running workshops. I wasn't designing at this point, but I was beginning to, like Rico had commissioned a couple of things and they were beginning to kind of um, nurture me a little bit because this was just in the days when brand ambassador wasn't even a, a word, but, uh, you know, like everyone was beginning to just kind of like, clock into the potential of 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 um, the internet so the breast cancer gave me um permission to to sort of step out of of life and and just crochet and I kind of crocheted my way through my recovery and as a result of that I created all these pieces that were really looking back on it like sketching with yarn and I think I learned an enormous amount and because there was this freedom I wasn't thinking about anything other than what would look pretty all of those pieces ended up translating into my first book. Right. So I drew on I drew on a lot of that. And simultaneously, whilst I was creating all these pieces, um, I was invited by Simply Crochet to do, they do a little reader's challenge, don't they, where they have two readers and they're given the same yarn and it's like, make something out of this yarn. Yeah. And, and that was the turning point because obviously suddenly I'm like, oh! <gasps> I'm in, I'm in Simply Crochet. And it was a really big deal. It was the most exciting thing ever. I mean, it was just brilliant. And and so I did that and I took it so seriously. And um, there was a lot of frogging. There was a lot of undoing of that one. And then, um, and then I, because then I had the contact with Simply Crochet. So then I was able to kind of, you know, like offer other things. And, and there's a design team that do the story every month and I was invited to to be part of that team so I think kind of with the support of Rico at the beginning who kind of nurtured me and then with the support of the editor Sarah Huntington at Simply Crochet the two of them together they kind of it felt like they were investing in me a bit and and so it kind of gave me that yeah I just yeah that's that's how it kind of went so a lot of it was luck and good fortune and um but ultimately it's just being obsessive about it because I you know I I I was crocheting anyway regardless of anything because there's a difference isn't there between doing something for the fun of it 
making a blanket it doesn't matter if you make a mistake because it doesn't matter it's a gift or it's for you but when you're designing to write a pattern for other people to then replicate it's a different it's a different thing and it's not everyone's cup of tea because it is that there there are certain things that you that you have to do that not restrictions but you have to work within a certain framework that you that you don't have to if you're just doing it for pleasure no and you I imagine you have got to be incredibly accurate as well because <laughs> when you're doing yeah. it for yourself you, if some if you count slightly off sometimes you can fudge it can't you you can add a couple of extra stitches on the end of the row or whatever always. you can well, always do that <laughs> <laughs> I guess if it's going in black and white and people are going to pay for it, that can't happen, can it? No, but I tell you what, though, when I'm teaching, when I'm teaching crochet, and I and I, I think I'm going to run workshops about you know 101 ways to bodge something, you know, just to fudge it, because I think that there's a lot in there. I think that's why we like crochet because you can. There's a lot of time, and I always say the golden rule is know where you went wrong. See, see, understand what it is that you've done, but you don't necessarily have to undo it. You could, as long as you understand what you did and how to correct it next time round, nine times out of ten, you can get away with it, unless it's a mandala and the, the symmetry is all off. But don't you think? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, last last Christmas I did a crochet along for a Christmas blanket and it was only when I was about 12 rows further on I realised I'd missed a row of bobbles out on my um, on my snowflakes. I, I became quite adept at making my own little bobbles and then darning them in. Because <laughs> I, I couldn't bring myself to frog all the... Because some of it had been really quite complicated, some of the following rows. It's like, ah, why didn't I just look at it first? <laughs> said though you see because what you did was you became adept it's like you taught yourself you thought okay I'm really right what do I do and you and so you learn a whole new skill right yeah. I mean that's brilliant it is magic really and also now that all this water's under the bridge now if I was to get that blanket out now I don't think I'd be able to pick out the ones that were added after the <laughs> after the event as opposed to during so that's there we brilliant. are <laughs> <laughs> No, I think that would be a very good workshop to run, actually, Emma. <laughs> I think it would, wouldn't it? Because that's what we always do, isn't it? Whenever we get together as crochets, all we do most of the time is pass on little tips and techniques and, you know, ways that we've worked around something. And that's, I mean, that's all I spend my time doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, when you've been working really hard on something and then you spot a mistake, it's so disheartening, isn't it, to have to tear out all that? I mean, sometimes you have to, you can't get around it. But yeah. if there is a way to avoid avoid that it's great because otherwise I'm, I'm going to huff with it put it in a bag and then forget about it for six months and then sometimes forever and <laughs> that crochet should be fun really rather than something you dread actually looking at and figuring out what went wrong yeah and the thing so there's two things isn't there? it's like it should be fun to do but also we have got to be able to look at the finished piece and, and love it or because all the great artists, they were always motivated by the next thing, whether they? they would look at their, their masterpiece and then go, hmm, next time I would do it slightly differently. And I think that, that, that there's nothing wrong in that. It's like, it's a, it's a, it, for me, it's, like it's an evolutionary process. We're constantly improving. You've got to love what you do. You've got, to, you've got to be able to look at it and be okay with it. So sometimes we do have to pull it out. But I always... I, I always um, because I've done a lot of frogging, I I now um, 
I'm very zen about it. So now as I'm doing it, because sometimes I just have to, because there's no point in getting upset, is there? It's like, if you're going to get all kind of like, oh, I've just wasted 15 evenings of crochet. You can't look at it that way. The way I see it is I'm learning. It's all a learning process. And so when, as I'm undoing it, it's like, I just practice acceptance. Just accept it and don't get bent out of shape. It's like, it's fine. And I've, I've really had to do that because if you're on a really tight deadline and there's no option if it's for a um, publication, it has to be right, then there's, there's no point. There's just no point in me getting upset about it. And I have got upset in the past. And now it's like, that's not, I've still got to pull it out and I've still got to redo it. Worse than that, I've got to work out what it is that I've got to do differently, which is often the hardest bits. Like, I honestly don't know what. <laughs> but I say it's a good meditation. It is a good practice for you, you know, just to kind of, it's okay. It's just, and at the end of the day, after the two years we've had, it's only crochet. Isn't it? That's the great mantra. It's only crochet. Indeed. It's very interesting you should say that, actually, because I've been working on a project and, and I almost was at the end of it. Fortunately, it was small. It was amigurumi, so it wasn't like 15 evenings of, of crochet in total. But I'd got to the end of it and I was quite happy, but there was just something not right. And I, st I stared at it. It was put it on the shelf, left it there for a few days. And the more I looked at it, the more I thought, no, it's not right. It's got to come out. And that was the first time I've actually sat down and unravelled. And and I was completely car. You know, I wasn't angry. I wasn't annoyed. And you know, moping about all the time that I'd wasted. It was like, no, this is all part of the journey towards improving it for the future. And I actually finished it this morning and I'm really pleased with it. I'm so glad I went back and did that. I feel so much happier with the finished article than I did otherwise. So maybe that is my evolution as a crocheter as well, that I've reached the point that I can frog without tears. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think we do hit, you, you, do, you do reach a point where I'm always sort of saying like, when I teach crochet, the very first time somebody picks up and, and, and starts to hook, they want to keep what they've made. And I'm really kind of keen that they pull it out. And I say, if you can learn now to accept pulling out your work, your crochet is just going to be forever improving because you're never going to be precious about, about what you're doing. You can kind of like, and then you'll get to a really good place in your creativity. It's just really interesting that you looked at it and you just, you made that decision of like, yeah, no, I that's got to go. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's just years of doing it, isn't it? Suddenly you realise it's not that big a deal actually, just to spend a bit longer doing it yes, and getting so it right. So. Hopefully, you'll come back. We we talked about the fact that uh, you you are the queen of colour. Where where do you get your inspiration from for these beautiful colours that you use in your work? I I don't know, although. Um, I have collected for many, many years pottery by a lady called Mary Rose Young. And she used to have, because I live near Bath, and she had a shop in Bath. And I remember my heart just doing a sort of a tumble when I first came into her work. And um, and I think that, that her work has been a huge influence on me, and I didn't realise it until I looked around my house one day and went, Oh, uh, hang on a minute. <laughs> so, so we're kindred spirits, Mary Rose Young and I. I recommend anybody just to, to look her up. Her work is amazing. Um, and if you ever get the chance to go to her pottery, it's in Lydney. I don't know if it's in Wales or if that's England, but anyway, right on the border near Monmouth. Amazing, amazing work. So I think that 
I've always gathered brightly coloured things around me. So it's clearly been something that's been in my life. I just wasn't sure. I didn't I didn't necessarily recognise it at the time. Um, and working with, with Jan, we're so lucky, aren't we now? Like in the last 15 years, we've, we've just like the, the, the world of yarn is just exploded when it comes to choice of color you know we've got several brands out there whose whose whole brand identity is having you know 50 or 60 colors of any ray and it's like that's that's pretty special you yeah. know and then we get these wonderful yarns that that's you know that, that, that where they've blended the colors for us and so what I've always found interesting is that I naturally go for um, hot orange, pink and red, all the sort of hot colours fused together. I love all that kind of that slightly Bollywood kind of feel and then sort of just throw a little bit turquoise in it. But what, what, what I find really fascinating is how some people are very nervous of colour and I couldn't understand that because I'm not, so it doesn't frighten me at all. So I have had to learn and appreciate that for some people, it's a very daunting thing. And what also surprised me was, was how many people loved the autumn colours. It wasn't my thing at all, like the autumn colours, like the, the mustards and um, the kind of the earthy greens and the browns. I was like, oh, no. Anyway, I was commissioned to do something in fact weirdly went through this phase last year just all I got was autumn commissions and it was like okay I'm obviously gonna have to embrace autumn <laughs> and now I'm like where have I been these are amazing so it's like having gone through that I try to encourage people to work with everything they love like just recognize what you love and then try and flip it and try and work with colours that you don't normally go for. You know, maybe make a project. You don't have to necessarily choose the colours yourself if you're not if you're not confident, but maybe find a project that you like the look of and go for a palette that you wouldn't normally do. And just, because there's something about how they make you feel, right? The colours, they do something to us, don't they? Absolutely. I think that's what... I think that's what was the thing that got me was that I liked how I felt when I worked with the pinks and the oranges and the, like it made me feel good. Yeah, you and now the earthy ones do too. But like it was that it was how I felt. That was the thing. You can get an awful lot of energy off colour, can't you? Really, colours some can bring you down and some can just elevate your mood totally. So I, yeah, I'm totally with they you on really that. It's, it's really true, isn't it? Because when you start going through the blues and the greens and the turquoises, there is something really just restful about it. Really beautiful. Mm. And then I go back to the oranges and the reds and the pinks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, why not? If it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So um, after you, you know, You've mentioned the fact that you've written a couple of books, Mindful Crochet and Naturally Colourful Crochet. How did the books come about? Oh, purely by accident. I mean, I don't, to this day, I'm kind of, I still scratch my head. How did that happen? I literally came home one day and there was a there was an email from a publisher. And I Googled the publisher thinking, yeah, no, this isn't real. And, and then I went, oh, oh, they are an actual publisher. Oh, how exciting. Um, I think in 2014, I did a yarn bomb. 2012, I did my first yarn bomb. And then in 2014, I was invited 
to for by a big event in Bath to, to Yarnbomb Bath, and that became an enormous event. And 2014 was quite an important year, I think, because algorithms were coming in and you know the search engine optimizer, all of that stuff, and it happened to be um around the time that I was getting a website built as well. So what happened was that because there was a lot of PR around the yarn bomb, I think I hit, I don't know, like Google liked me, right? So I did top 10 tips on how to do a yarn bomb because 2014 to 2016 was really the kind of like the the, the period, the, 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 the age of the yarn bomb, wasn't it? We were all just discovering it and going, ah! So I think what happened was that the publisher initially, I think, was thinking along a book about yarn bombing and they, they Googled it and my name popped up. Mm. So I've always said it's not because I'm a brilliant crocheter or because I'm special in any way. I think ultimately it came about because they found me and I was visible. And and I think that, that in, in all honesty, was was the only reason. <laughs> but so they found me they asked me and I had to go to London and meet them and take some of my work and um and because and I took some of my simply crochet work and and the magazine and I think that you know I think in combination with with the the work I had done in yarn bombing and the magazine work it gave them the confidence that I could actually because again it's not just about making the pretty thing you've got to be able to write the pattern it's it's it is the, it's the bit I hate most, but it is, it, it's, it's essential to the job. So, and then, and then I was asked to do 35 projects in a really small amount of time. That was quite challenging. I can well imagine. How did you go about doing that then? Did you have ideas, like pre-existing ideas you could draw on or, or was it all yeah. completely new? I think the first book there was pre-existing ideas because of course it's like the famous first album isn't it it's like you've got all the stuff and it's like so so that that in a way um it wasn't easy but it, it I found it easier than my second book the second book they knew me I knew them we kind of knew what it was all about but it was the difficult second album because I had much higher expectations of myself, but the time constraints for for publication is always very, very, very tight. So to do 35 projects in 12 weeks and write the patterns and then come back after the tech editing and all of that, it, it's like, there, there, are, there are a lot of restrictions. Like one of the other restrictions, because it's all kind of like, it, all of these, the, the sort of the parameters of doing it feed into the difficulty of what you're doing. Because one of the things is that the yarn that you use has to be, um, it has to be current and it has to be available um, preferably around the world, but certainly in America. So there are some brands and some yarns that you cannot use, like most of the indie dyed yarns you can't use because, of course, readers are going to want to potentially copy what you've done verbatim and they need to be able to get hold of those yarns easily. So immediately your palette is reduced. And so, you know, it's, things start to chisel away. So it becomes quite an exercise in in. It's, it's quite a disciplined thing to do. Uh, and I'm not sure I have the discipline. I'm not sure I could do a second. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my next question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always that you get to the end, I'm never doing this again, so help me God, as long as I live, I'm never doing this. Oh my God, if anyone, if anyone hears me say, I'll do another one, just put a bag over my head. <laughs> Lock me in a dark room. But then of course you do it and it's out and, you know, a few months go by and then you kind of go, huh, 
<laughs> and you start again. <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> Glutton for punishment, I think. Blimey, yeah. that sounds like a really tall order. I can't comprehend how you did 35 patterns in 12 weeks. That's that's quite something. <laughs> Blows my mind. Maybe one pattern in 12 weeks might be it for me. But <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> And that's that'd be a push. <laughs> Can you tell me a bit more about your yarn bombing then? So it came about because the, the first yarn bomb I ever did was to promote an arts trail in our local area, the Peacock Arts Trail. Um, and I was part of the, on the committee to, to sort of organise it. And so the first year we did it, we thought, how can we activate the local community? How can we wake them up to, to this event? And and the idea of the yarn bomb came up and I just put my hand and said, well, I'll do that. I will be responsible. So, I mean, looking back on it, what was I thinking? I, I honestly thought that I could yarn bomb the whole of Caution Town Centre single-handedly. And the bizarre thing is I did. Wow. <laughs> and I, to this day, I think, wow. But it was the launch pad of everything. Like I perfected my crochet techniques. I understood how, it's just, I learned so much. The wonderful thing about yarn bombs is that nothing matters in like, nobody's, nobody, you don't have to write a pattern. Nobody's going to question it. You know, like, what did you do? And is that's not right? You can stretch and pull things and make them fit around things. So it's very much a labor of love. And People who who happen upon it accidentally, nine times out of ten, cannot help but be really charmed by the whole thing. It is a charming thing, isn't it? You go past a tree or a lamppost and there's a bit of crochet or knitting on it. And it, it's just it's just like, oh, that's nice. Why, why have they done that? You know, you just you step in towards it and you, you engage with it. right? And it's like it's one of the few pieces of public art that the, 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 the viewer feels confident enough to step in towards often when you've got public art people stand back because they're not sure what they're allowed to do or how to interact with it but with yarn bombing because it's such a familiar tactile thing it's yarn we all we all understand it and so we tend to step in towards it and I love that I love the fact that people their response is to touch it and and it's so so it kind of ticks a lot of boxes for me because it's 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 just a very fun um almost stress-free activity it's you know it can be as big or as small as you want it to be it, it you know it's it's a lovely thing I mean now if I do them my whole I have a whole kind of because I've done so many and I've done them semi-professionally for big kind of, you know, events and things. Now, there's a formula that I, I kind of follow. But one of the first things I say to anybody is, who's it for? And, and you know, if you must involve the community. That's the most important thing about a yarn bomb is if you're doing it on your own, it's kind of more of an installation and, and it's, you know, you're doing like the tree in, the, in your front garden. But if you're doing a big town centre or a bus, which we did um, during lockdown, um, you need to involve people because it's about it's about bringing everyone together. And that's that's what's so fantastic about it and again because it doesn't matter there's no judgment attached to everybody sends in a granny square it doesn't matter if it's a bit wrong you know what's wrong you know like right and and and, and then you 
as the curator you then kind of you know i bring them together and it's like how do i make sense of this how do i and there's a there's a lovely creativity that comes with it but people that have contributed can then can then kind of look in on it and and feel really proud and have some ownership of it and feel like you know i was part of that 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 feels good you know and especially like in the last 18 months it's i know lots of people have been yarn bombing their street or their front garden and it's like you know it's kind of been an add-on to the rainbow in the window it's been this way of connecting with people because that's what it is isn't it it's we're connecting and we've needed it more than ever and it's there's something about yarn bombing that it takes such a long time to to make a lot of crochet and knitting to to adorn a tree that 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 in itself says to the recipients you know that i care like this we collectively have have spent many many hours creating something that on the surface is a bit silly it's like you know lampposts wrapped up in in crochet and knitting i don't want to exclude knitters um it's silly and it's frivolous but there's also something really profound and beautiful about it and 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 i think really moving you know and and you always feel a little bit self-conscious when you're sewing it on and i always really i tip my hat to the person that does the real kind of like the gorilla yarn bombing where no permission has been sought and you know and they've just gone up to their bus shelter or that or they're sat on the bus i mean i've never done this <laughs> and you, you actually sew you, you stitch your little thing onto the you know and then you get off the bus and you leave it and it, you never see it again but it's like it tickles me it's kind of like it is it's it's kind of it, it's harmless graffiti isn't it? Mm -hmm. it, it 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 can be taken away it's often it's often stolen you know people often decide they want to keep it and so they take it and it's like you just have to let it go it's it's such an exercise in in in, in kind of just giving yeah. without any like that's it you just let it go into the into the into the world although i will just say if you are doing a yarn bomb for an event you must take it down it's really important that you kind of go it's up for two weeks and then we take it down you must do that otherwise it just looks hideous <laughs> yes as it slowly gets weather beaten and faded yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes there's nothing sadder nothing sadder than a faded yarn bomb with holes in it as it slowly unravels <laughs> no but you're absolutely right it's it's so accessible both to to create and for people who come across it and yeah. uh yeah they're they're lovely things really and can can work wonders in in raising awareness for for causes and yeah. charities and, and everything so yeah i totally get why you're so enthused about them they are wonderful <laughs> um now i i i noticed that you you are a practicing buddhist um and you've you've got your mandalas which are classed as mindful crochet do you see your creativity as like a conduit for your spirituality oh god what a lovely question yeah definitely definitely that's such a nice question thank you yeah because so, th so there's lots of different i'm not going to go into the whole thing about buddhism but but there are many 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 different schools of buddhism there's like a tree with loads of branches so but so but fundamentally my practice is is about raising my life state so that because we, we, we're we're human beings and we have lots of stuff going on in our lives and we have a lot of negativity right we have a lot of doubt and little clouds that just sit in our 
sit in our, our inner world. And But fundamentally, at the core of every living being is this uh, incredible, I don't know, like a little diamond or a beautiful light or, um, you know, in the practice, I, our Buddhahood, and, and Buddhahood is is wisdom, courage, and compassion. That's how it's how it is expressed. So every every morning I chant, um, and I chant a phrase which is Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, and I chant it over and over again, and it and it kind of it activates that that inner Buddhahood, right? So that everything I do is is infused with wisdom, courage, and compassion, and and I think. One of the things that I love about my practice is that 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 we we're very aware that that whatever's going on out in the world in in our reality is a reflection of what's going on in here. So if you want to change what's going on out here, you need to change what's going on in here, and that's really simple and really profound. And I feel like my work reflects that that constant. Um, it's not a tussle, but that constant sort of striving to to be to imbue my world with wisdom, courage, and compassion. So, you know, even when we start thinking about what those words mean, it, you know, already we start to kind of enlighten ourselves a little bit to, to how we are and who we are. So, if I'm working on something like like, so I'm not. I'm not a garment person because there's this thing called sizing up. <laughs> and I have no idea how in God's name you're supposed to work that stuff out. But I've decided I'm going to do garments. And so um, Simply Crochet have said yes. Sarah has commissioned a garment. <laughs> so don't have to have it. It's, it's where we're now. We're September. It doesn't have to be in until January. And already my hoodie's going. Rrr, rrr. So, so if I chant, and I just chant to not, because so, it's lots of maths and lots of working it out beforehand, is is just to kind of like to have the courage and the wisdom to maybe slow down and just get in rhythm, you know, just get in rhythm. So I do use my practice to kind of to challenge myself to do new things, but also to just kind of it's okay and 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 I'm sure I'll get it wrong and I'll need to pull it out and it's all part of it so so yeah I my 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 Buddhist practice and my work are fused together completely because the the stronger my practice the stronger my work without a doubt without a doubt wow that's lovely to hear I I just I just I wondered if there was a connection especially because you know it's so positive and uplifting the stuff that you do Thank you. I hope so. It it was never like it was never a contrived intention, but because I've worked from the heart to begin with, you know, when I was doing all the through the cancer bit, I was just doing whatever I wanted to do, and it was just coming through. It's only in hindsight that I look back and I think, oh yeah, people do they do respond in that way. That now I recognise that that is my intention is to kind of. You know, we all touch people's lives in a certain way, and 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 when I'm chanting, I often I'm often praying to touch the lives of those whose lives need touching, because not everybody needs it. But so I'm I'm trying to. It's all for me. It's about connecting all the time. Just 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 yeah, just connecting. All comes back to connection. It's always connection, and you know, every stitch is an interconnected, right? So I love that. But for me, it's the biggest motivator is connection. 
How lovely. Now, you teach, I presume that continues into your, into your teaching. Do you get as much joy out of teaching people, both your mosaic and your crochet, as you do creating things for yourself? Yes, and no. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I couldn't do just one thing exclusively. Like I need the other thing in order, it's like the two things work because one is in isolation, you know, when I'm working and I'm working, you know, and I could sit for months in isolation, but I also need the, the, the kind of the energy and 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 actually to step out of myself slightly and and kind of it's, it, and serve others and teach others, so the two things work in tandem. Um, but what so when I'm teaching mosaic, mosaic mosaic's easy because anyone can mosaic, and so anyone can come with no skill at all and they leave with a lovely mosaic. With crochet, you've got to be motivated to want to learn, right? Because it's kind of like it's in stages, so you can't just come and expect to suddenly make an amazing mandala you do have to start at the beginning and make a granny square and then make a granny blanket before you can move on but what I love about teaching crochet is that you know you see that moment when people go and it suddenly connects and you go there you go welcome to the world of crochet like you'll never leave it you just know and it's like and I and I put a little caveat in the on my website to say not responsible for the addiction that this is going to become I'm not responsible (laughs) for the amount of yarn you will accrue the amount of baskets of whips you're going to have all around your home (laughs) it's a big disclaimer (laughs) but isn't it a great thing like to, to 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 give that to people is like that's a life of of wonderment to to know that you've you've got crochet always to see you through anything yeah and it really does it, we we found that so much more in the last 18 months and and you've spoken yourself about when you were going through your cancer treatment that 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 was there for you and it it's yeah. just it's a wonderful gift really it is it really is yeah Oh well, Emma. On that note, I think that's a, a really good to, a good point to uh, to finish up. But thank you so much. Thanks for talking so openly about everything. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you. My thanks again to Emma for being such a lovely guest. I love chatting to her and getting to hear her story. If you'd like to find out more about Emma and her work, you can find links to her website and social media in the show notes for this episode. I've also included a link to Mary Rose Young Pottery, which Emma mentioned as an inspiration for her work. Now, talking about inspiration, when we moved house back to the UK from Gibraltar last year, I found myself with a proper garden again after over 10 years without one. That garden has been the inspiration for a series of crochet patterns I've designed, one of which I mentioned in my chat with Emma, which needed reworking at the time. Now, last month, I launched the Making Stitches shop on Etsy the proceeds of which will help me to continue to make these podcasts. And thanks to your amazing support, I sold out of my first batch of Making Stitches project bags and have had to print some more. Well, following on from that success, today I'm launching the first of my crochet patterns in the shop too. They've been a long time in the making. I first put hook to yarn and began my first prototype on New Year's Eve. 
In the intervening months, I've created a range of amigurumi dolls, all inspired by my garden and the nature that surrounds me. And my hugely talented friend, Emma Jackson, has not only designed the patterns so they look fabulous and hopefully easy to follow, she's also illustrated them with the characters I've created. The range is called Up the Garden Path, and it begins with Flora the Gardener and Hope the Snowdrop. They'll be joined by some other seasonal friends very soon. There's a link to the Making Stitches shop in the show notes for this episode, so you can have a look for yourself. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Making Stitches, I'd be really grateful if you'd consider rating it or leaving a review on your podcast app of choice, as it'll help Making Stitches reach a bigger audience, or just share it with someone who you think will enjoy it too. Thanks very much for listening. It's been lovely to have your company. I'll be back again in two weeks' time with another inspiring maker story for you. Until next time, keep safe and enjoy your crafting. <laughs>